This podcast is a presentation of UCTV.TV, University of California Television. Like what you learn? Help others discover UCTV podcasts by leaving a comment or rating in iTunes. Good afternoon. Uh, I would like to s- start with acknowledgments just in case I run out of time and Bahani kicks me out. Yeah, I'm happy to be here and thanks to Qatar Foundation for inviting me and thank you to the organizers, Bahani Asfa and, and Lynn Wadley and also to Linda. I think we have been communicating a lot with Linda and also to the general staff of Qatar for making this trip and this symposium a success. I'm saying a success because I, I think it will be a success until the end. Yeah, so I've been invited to give a talk on Astropithecus in East and South Africa. It's quite a, an enormous task, and I think I'll try to do justice because it's an enormous field of research that has gone on to make this research come to fruition. So let's get the, the facts. For the first five million years of our evolution since our common ancestors with the closest cousins, the chimpanzees, the, at seven million years, those first, first five million years of our evolution are confined in Africa. So if we are understanding the story of humankind, the story of us, the very first five million years, you don't find fossils anywhere except in Africa. And most of those fossils that span during that time, they are within the group called Astropithecus, the genus called Astropithecus. There are others which I'll talk about later, but since this is the focus of the topic, I'll confine myself mostly to that group or genus, the Astropithecus. So to talk about the Astropithecus is, if you're talking about the genus, you can, it's almost the same as if you're talking about human evolution. You cannot talk about human evolution without talking about Charles Darwin. If you're talking about Astropithecus, you cannot talk Astropithecus without talking about Lemodat. This is the person who coined the term Astropithecus in 1925 after getting a skull of what is commonly known as Taung Chowd in a site in South Africa called Taung. This was in 1924, but the publication to name this species was in 1925. Remo Dutt recognized various characteristics of the Taung Chowd, some of which were human-like and others that were ape-like. And as highlighted in the slide, you can see the Taung Chowd skull possessed a forward-placing foramen magnum, indicating that it was walking bipedally. And we know as part of the primate family, we are the only ones who walk bipedally. So he recognized that this has to be in line with the humans. He also recognized that the ape had a human-like forehead, it had no marked diastema, which is the space between the canine and the incisors. 
And it also had a reduced brow ridge. That's this part of your, your face. Those features tied it or blotted closely in line with what we see in humans. However, the skull itself had a very small brain, which is ape-like. It had a jaw which was jutting forwards, which was also ape-like, and it had no chin. So he called these Australopithecus africanus, the southern ape-man from Africa, and described it as an extinct race of apes intermediate between living anthropoids and man. However, this didn't go down well within the scientific community. He was criticized, first for mixing Greek and Latin in coming up with the, the, the naming of the species. Also, at the same time, we had the Pyodan hawks, which had been engineered since 1912, and it indicated that the humans or the ancestors of humans, we should be expecting a big brain and a nape like jaw, and the rest of the body was supposed to be catching up in evolutionary terms. And also, it didn't help that during that time, Homo neanderthalensis had been discovered in Germany in 1856. Homo erectus had been discovered in Java in 1891. And Homo heidelbergensis had also been discovered in 1907. So there were already specimens that were already human-like that were competing with the theory that Raymond Dutt had indicated that Australopithecus africanus was ancestral to the humans. And also because of the small brain, it was believed that the Australopithecus or the ancestors to humans should have a big brain. And so Australopithecus africanus was contrary to what the scientific community believed at the time. But science has proved that that was right. And we now believe there is a general consensus that Australopithecus occupy a morphological space intermediate between early members of genus Homo and the living African apes. Sometimes it's Adipithecus, which is there, and Kenyanthropus here, early members of Homo, Paranthropus, which we have Paranthropa Ethiopicus in East Africa, Paranthropus boisea also in, in East Africa, and Paranthropus robustus in South Africa. They merged these into the genus Astropithecus, but this becomes too restrictive because there are clear anatomical differences between, all the, between the four groups, and this presentation does exclude members that are at any time revised to as Adipithecus, Paranthropus, Kenyanthropus, and Homo, and restricts the discussion on only members that have been referred as Astropithecus and in East Africa and South Africa. In East Africa, we have a number of species that have been identified, and these are the ones that have general consensus that they are within the genus Astropithecus. We have four 
species. We have the latest that have been discovered in Ethiopia. This is Australopithecus delemida. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. Bahan can correct me. These Australopithecus anamensis discovered in, in Kenya, Australopithecus afrensis discovered in Kenya, Tanzania, and Ethiopia, Australopithecus garai discovered in Ethiopia, and the vertical lines indicate a species that have been found in more than one site. If it's just a dot, like in Garai, it indicates it has just been found in just a single site. And the horizontal line indicates the span if it dates, there are dates that extend from, let's say, for example, for uh, an amensis, 4.2 to 3.9 million years. But if it's just a single dot, that indicates that specimen has just one single date associated with it. In South Africa, we have Australopithecus prometheus that was named in 1948, then kind of it was controversial whether that was uh, the specimens represented a species, a new species, and it was dropped off. But last year, there were discoveries that named Australopithecus revived the name. It's still controversial whether it's, it's, it's scientific to revive a name or whether the, the name should have fallen out of use. And the dates are still also controversial. We have dates that are least at 3.67 million years, and some who suggest that the species in fact dates to less than 2.2 million years. So that's why we have that dotted line. In South Africa, we also have Australopithecus sediba at 1.97 million years, and Australopithecus africanus at 3.3 to 2.1 million years. While each of the species has is its own peculiar morphological characteristics, time constraints do not permit discussing each species in isolation. Instead, I'll focus on morphological traits that are rather consistent right through that lineage. So what I'll do is I'll go down from the cranium, indicating what's common and how we understand whether that contributed to who we are and what implications it has. When you look at the cranium of Australopithecus, it has several cranial characters, including a forward-placed foramen magnum, indicating that this genus was bipedal. They had small brain size, small relative cranial height and breadth, prominent grabera, which is this region here, and relatively robust zygomantic bone, and also they had a jutting jaw. Those are just some of the characteristics. They also had U-shaped dental arcade. The chimpanzees have almost a rectangular dental arcade, and the modern humans, we have a parabolic dental formula. When you look at the brain, the general trend in human evolution is an increase in cranial capacity, 
and this trend become marked in the genus Homo. And usually it's often associated with consumption of meat. We know that brain size increased more than threefold from Australopithecus to our genus species. So you can see the Australopithecus here, they had very small brain size. And when you come to us, it's more than, it's almost about three times what you see in the Australopithecines. One critical question in human evolution is the timing and mode of early human, early hominid brain evolution. As late as 2010, it was generally assumed that brain size increment preceded brain reorganization. From 3.6 million years, that's when we have the Australopithecus prometheus, to 2 million years, which is represented by Australopithecus sediba, Research indicates that Australopithecus cortical folding patterns in the brain were essentially chimpanzee-like. Brain volumes are also at risk at the upper end of chimpanzee variation. However, Australopithecus sediba, which is represented here, and also this is sediba, which was discovered in 2008, Australopithecus sediba display human-like local protrusion in the inferior frontal area, which is that region that's highlighted here, and which the researchers led by Chris Carlson, they call this as an implication of early stages of bolstering local neural connectivity in area 45, and which they argue is related to speech. Thus, the current consensus is that there is a gradual neural reorganization of the orbitofrontal region in the transition from Australopithecus to Homo, but not gradual enlargement before transition. So what does an increase in brain size demand? An increase in brain size demands an increase in energy intake and or a reduction in energy allocation to other energy-demanding functions for example, by adopting a more efficient bipedal locomotion, having a slower growth and reproduction rate, and having small, smaller guts. All these factors have been observed or inferred in the evolution from Australopithecus to Homo. If you look at the shoulders and the thorax, Australopithecus genus is characterized by a relatively elevated shoulders and a conical chip in the upper thorax, which is, you can see the shoulders here are elevated. This is Australopithecus sediba, that's modern humans, and that's the chimpanzees. The shoulders are elevated. So Australopithecus have this general chip, which is similar to what we see in the chimpanzees. The high-position shoulders have been interpreted as indicative of upper limbs that were habitually used in overhead postures in the context of arboreal locomotion and positional behaviors. That means they would have most of the time been using their arms uh, like this. That's whether they were climbing or using that for movement on the trees. A conical-shaped torso, as you can 
see on these, which is similar to what you see in the chimpanzees, the humans have a barrel-shaped torso, is effective in even redistributing stress on the ribcage during arm hanging, but also there's a drawback to that because it makes it difficult to swing arms when walking upright or running. A barrier-shaped thorax, as in modern humans, is well adapted for endurance, walking, and running. This is a depiction of Astropithecus climbing, and you have to agree with me, this has to be a very small tree if they are holding on the branch and also on the ground. If you look at the forearm, Astropithecus are characterized by long arms with particularly large joint services and a higher branchial index. This is great, the higher branchial index is greater than the modern gorilla, but lower than the chimpanzees, which indicating retention of some degree of arboreal competency. This would also imply an upper limb that was habitually used in overhead postures in the context of arboreal locomotion and positional behaviors. When we look at the hand, Astropithecus possessed long, robust, and curved fingers with strong attachment sites for flex muscles, the degree of curvature in the shafts of the fingers is correlated with frequency of arboreal behavior. Astropithecus phalanges are intermediary curved between those of modern humans and great, great apes, suggesting regular substantial climbing and suspension. So the question is, did Astropithecus make stone tools? And what we know is the earliest stone tools are dated to about 3.3 million years. They are called Lamequan and they predate the early members of the genus Homo by 800,000 years, and the genus Homo is thought to have made the stone tools. So most likely, Astropithecus would have made stone tools. If you look at the spine and the legs, Astropithecus had five to six broad lumbar vertebrae that articulated to form a human-like lumbar curvature, effective for weight transmission from the upper body to the pelvis while also permitting the hips and the trunk to swivel forward during walking. Astropids are characterized by relatively short legs, small femoral, femoral hands, small joint services, and the small neck, the femoral necks are, however, longer and, and anterior posteriorly compressed than those of humans and chimpanzees and more highly angled. Shorter legs are less energy efficient in bipedal walking, though they help in lowering the center of gravity, hence increasing stability and balance while walking on an even substrate. Owen Lovejoy has suggested that long femoral necks increase the mechanical advantage of the hip muscle that stabilizes the pelvis. When we look at also continuing on the spine and the leg, the distal tibia in astropathy is characterized by an anteroposteriorly expanded metaphysis that's this region here. That has been interpreted as probable early bipedal adaptation that expanded volume of ankle for stress dissipation during walking. The foot of Astropithecus has a large immobilized toe that's in line with other toes as it's evident in the 3.6 million year old Lytoli footprint. And this alignment provides us strong push of dueling toe off. While the pelvis of Astropith is human-shaped, it's extraordinarily broad with a wide side-to-side -side birth canal, small sacral and coaxial joints, 
long pubic rami. Kevin Hunt has argued that a wider pelvis evolved to allow internal organs to ride lower in the body cavity, thus lowering the center of gravity, hence increasing balance and while bipedal walking. Prior to discovery of Australopithecus sediba, shown here, and this is modern humans, it was assumed that homo-like architecture of the pelvis was as a result of giving birth to large brain babies. In 2005, Lovejoy argued that the primary differences between the pelvis of Australopithecines and modern humans do not reflect changes in locomotor adaptation, but instead are a complex and elaborate anatomical response to birthing in response to increasing Pleistocene hominid cerebralization. However, the homo-like pelvis of Stropithecus sediba coupled with a small adult brain suggests that birthing of large brain babies was not the driving was not driving the evolution of the pelvis at two million years. Looking at sexual dimorphism, Astropithecus exhibit a greater degree of sexual dimorphism than in modern humans and chimpanzees. They possessed body weights between 25 to 60 kilograms, with males at the high end and females at the low. Females weighed somewhere between 50 and 70 percent of male body weight. In modern humans, females weigh about 85 percent of the male body weight. The degree of sexual dimorphism has implications on social organization as well as mating systems. Primates with primate species with higher sexual dimorphism are characterized by intense male-to-male competition. As Larsen has observed, although chimpanzee adult males express aggressive behavior toward one another, they tolerate each other, live in multiple male multi-male kin groups, and are Collaborative, especially in defending territory. Astropis social organization may similarly have been characterized by multi male cooperating king groups. So, what are the evolutionary relationships? Reconstructing hominid virogenies is extremely problematic and highly controversial. There is no consensus among paleoanthropologists on how to go about it in the first place. Does one use age of the fossil? geographical locality, morphological traits, and if so, how many of those morphological traits to use? Thus, there is no single universally accepted phylogeny. My preference is not in drawing lines connecting one species to another, but documenting morphological traits and reasoning about the implications of that in time and space. In conclusion, there are three major conclusions that can be drawn from the studies we have about astropithecines. One, all astropithecines features considered together denote a small-bodied, small-brained, robust, jawed bipedal apes that retained a substantial arboreal component to their locomotor repertoire. Available morphological evidence demonstrates that the evolutionary transition from small-bodied and perhaps more arboreal adapted hominins such as Australopithecus africanus, to a larger-bodied, possibly full-striding terrestrial bipod, biped, such as Homo erectus, occurred in a mosaic fashion. In terms of stone tool making, we need to investigate the relationship between posture, arm length, and their internal properties, 
and not just the morphological traits of the hand to characterize a toolmaker. And with that, thank you. Good evening, everybody. Sorry, my English is very bad. I, I can't try to speak in English. Uh, this is the plan of my presentation. Chadian uh, fossil sites located in the Chad Basin and is uh, in two uh, parties. The South Basin includes the present Lake Chad and North Basin now is desert and subject to significant eolian deflation. Uh, they contain the, the Ira fossil fair. And sediment deposits in Chad, in Basin Chad, are mainly lacustrine, fluviatile, and eolian. All the terrestrial mammal remains conserved in the peri-lacustrine unit. And as you know, uh, the, the most of uh, uh, all human find in an African continent. But you know, just two points in Central Africa. The most of part is in South Africa or in East Africa. Uh, this singular situation uh, led uh, some uh, paleontologists to propose a, a scenario he called East Side Story. <laughs> this, uh, according to this uh, hypothesis, about uh, 8 million ago, the Rift Valley formation caused significant change and separated Africa in two distinct environments. In the west, the dense and humid forest sustained the great Alps. In the east, a savanna landscape favored Australian particular emergence. So, the man will be born in East Africa. But Brunet and Empefti test this scenario in uh, 1984 and initiated expedition in the Durab uh, Desert, Northern Chad. The Mission Paleoanthropologique Franco-Chadienne is a scientific collaboration between Poitiers University in France, Njamena University, in CNRD in Chad. The MPFT has listed four sites fossilifer range between three and seven million years. You see uh, the area fossilifer, and to go to Durab, we take a car. Geomorphologic of Durab Desert consists of a large flat to wetly undulated surface, except for few rare features. And Desert Durab is dotted with recent dune, and fossilifer scissors are out in the middle of this dune. And the field 
mostly fossils found in situ, uh, as, uh, such as fossil cranium of anthracoterite in situ. Uh, anthracoterite is a cousin of hippopotamids. And other cars, fossils are partially clearly due to significant alien deflation, such uh, cranium with tusks of elephant. We use different methods for excavation and to prepare, uh, always to collect fossils. Uh, we can research in dispersing rain or in, in line. Other method is meticulous research. This method always must in case of large specimen identification. And to find small specimen, we, uh, we transform, uh, we, we proceed to, to, to sweat. And we uh, sorting of residue to look for the smaller specimen. Uh, the different method, uh, Actually, we are more than uh, 18 fossils are inventoried. It is the most important paleontological collection in Central Africa. Among these associations, there are remains all of all hominid. The first is Abel. The name scientific is Australopithecus bar el Ghazali, the first Australopithecus discovered west of the Valley Africa. Chadian hominids display a mosaic of character. We find derived characters such parabolic symphysis, flannet shines, asymmetric canine, and we find also a primitive uh, character, such uh, premolar with three roofs. This character, uh, we, uh, we name it a new Australopithecus bar El Ghazali. What information can learn about the discovery of Abel? And Australopithecus west of Rift Valley, contemporaries of Lucy, this discovery indicates a busy evolution of the human line. And second, the history of the distribution of the first hominid is, is incomplete. So, you must review the East Side Story scenario. And the research continues in uh, um, 2001 uh, we discovered another uh, hominid who called Tumai that it to 7 million the silent agencies have a unique combination of primitive and derived characters that differentiates it from both current great apes, gorilla, and simpanzee, but also 
from all other genera of fossil hominids, Homo, Australopithecus, Kenianthropus, Ardipithecus, and Aurori. The new Chadian hominid is characterized by an elongated cerebral capsules, strong and continuous orbital torus. He have also small canine with apical wire. This the uh, the the character like human. And too much school is deformed during fossilization. We uh, we do study for virtual cranial reconstruction of tumor. The study have made reconstruction in three dimensions and give the normal shape to the school of tumor. Chadian discovered suggests primo what geographic distribution of old hominid. Second, to my with uh, uh, 7 million years is probably very close to the early chimpanzees hominin divergence at least by 7 million years ago than previously indicated by many molecular studies. We use that team for the set of Chadian from two approaches, biochronology and radiochronology. Biochronology is based on comparison with other African sites with age are already known using mammal evolution degree, notably uh, proboticidian and uh, primitive peaks. By biochronology, the evolutive degree of mammal range geological age between three and seven million for Durap seeds. These results are confirmed and refined by radiochronology based on the analysis of the radioactive elements. We also do a reconstruction of paleo environment of the Durap seeds. Uh, the Jurepsid include uh, aquatic mammals such as crocodiles, uh, fish, and uh, amphibious uh, mammals such as hippopotamus and uh, anthracotery. These animals attested to the presence of lakes or rivers. We find also gallery forest mammals such uh, primitive rhinoceros and uh, primitive giraffe. Uh, we find also savanna mammals such as and uh, primitive gazella. This animal tests the presence of woodland environment or open and arid environment. Different methods indicate that Ancient Chadian habitat resemble of a mosaic of last, last carpets ranging from forested iris to vast glacier, grasslands and forest gallery. Uh, 
all of uh, this register as valid in uh, scientist review and uh, uh, vulgarized by other uh, uh, journal. Thank you. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. I'm very happy to be here and uh, present the archaeology of the Consul Gardula sites uh, in this institution. My speech outline uh, will be, first I will start by introducing the Consul Gardula sites. Then I will go through the 25 years of archaeological research at Consul Gardula, uh, focusing on the field research and findings and I will touch upon some of the implications. What you see here is a map of East Africa, and uh, as the Consul Gardula site is uh, well known for its Ashulian occurrences, uh, meaning uh, stone tools made on large flakes, shaped on large flakes, uh, which appeared as of uh, 1.75 million years ago, uh, my uh, focus will be on sites that are uh, uh, known for their uh, for uh, what they have in the uh, representing this technology. Uh, Consul Gardula is one of these sites, together with uh, the Cocasella site, which is uh, located here uh, in West Turkana. Consul Gardula is the oldest Ashulian site with hand axes that are dated to be uh, 1.75 million years old. And it's not only these sites, but there are also other sites in East Africa, uh, in further north in the lower Awash Valley in Ethiopia and in Turkana Basin in the uh, uh, Olduvai uh, Gorge we have many other sites, but all are not as old as these uh, windows that we have. This is the, console, uh, the distribution of the sites within the Consul Gardula. Uh, we discovered this site, the Consul Gardula, in 1991 uh, in a project that was run by uh, Dr. Brahani, uh, my colleague here. We are talk, uh, working together in those years. We are surveying the whole rift of the Ethiopian part of the Rift Valley, and we discovered several sites. One of these sites happened to be uh, the Consul sites. And this site uh, was a focus of attention for people who were interested in uh, that period, the period between 800,000 and 2 million years old. As you can see here, uh, the oldest sites at Consul Gardula uh, dated to around 1.75 uh, million years ago are very rare, and it's only one site that we have. And when we come to uh, around 1.6 million years, we have also few sites, but as of 1.45 million years ago, the yellow shows us the distribution of sites. The Ashulian become becomes more uh, abundant. And by around 850,000 years ago, we have more Ashulian sites everywhere. 
It's not only Ashulians that we have in council, but also all the one technologies are also represented in sediments which are older than 1.75 million years and uh, all the way to 1.5 million. Uh, here you have a composite stratigraphic section of the console site. Uh, at the, uh, this section uh, represents 200 meters thickness of sediments, which has about 30 uh, tough layers, tephaceous layers, which were datable, and uh, around 13 of these were dated, radiometrically dated, and they were also correlated with uh, already dated tough, tough layers on the, uh, in the Turkana Basin. So we have uh, archaeological occurrences from the lowest here at around 1.992, uh, which are represented by old one technology, meaning simple core flake techniques. But the uh, oldest Achillean stone tools represented by hand axes made on large flakes appear at KJ6A1 here just uh, above the KYT tough, which is dated at 1.740,000, 1, 1 million, 1.5 million, 1.75 million uh, years. And this age is matched only by the uh, uh, sites that are found in Kokaseli in western Turkana. As we go higher in the stratigraphy, by around 1.63 million years, we have another important Achillean site, meaning a site with abundant hand axes. But the sites are very, it is only a single site, but as of around 1.45 million years, we have the number of sites that increases and the technology also refines through time as we'll be looking through. This is to show you one of uh, the sites, the older one site, dated at 1.9 million years, uh, at a site called KJ19. And the older one artifacts represented there are, uh, as you see here, are represented by the cobbles and flecks. Uh, this is another site. Uh, which is dated, the site that is dated at around 1.75 million years ago, which we call KJ7, KJ6A1. And what you see here are, is, are two tufts here. You see two tufts. The archaeological excavation is conducted here. And the, tufts, the upper tuft uh, that you see is dated to uh, 1.74. Uh, that is the KYT2 tuft. And this is the excavation. And as you can see up there, we have hand axes made long, uh, on large flecks discovered in situ through excavations. And the assemblage as a whole, as we, if, when you look at it, it is, you can see that it is uh, flake-based. You see large flecks. This is the ventral of the this hand axis and peaks, and shaping is minimal. And we also find peak forms, peaks, large peaks, 
uh, made on uh, large flakes. So, as you can see here, uh, the shape is not, the shape of hand axe is not well attained, and shaping is not that uh, great as uh, other uh, Acheulean hand axes. This is the second oldest site that we have at KJ4A2, dated at 1.6 million years ago. You have here the Handak staff, and the archaeological layer is just above the Handak staff and what we, our excavation was conducted just here because the overburden on this side was higher. And the artifacts that were, the Australian Handaks that were retrieved from uh, the KGA4A2 uh, look like this. They are better shaped than the ones that we saw at KGA6A1. And we see, again, all these hand axes shaped on, made on large flakes, detached from mega cores. Big boulders were used as a core to detach these large flakes in order to make these hand axes. The other most important site that we have in the console uh, series, we have about 20, 21 sites in console, 21 localities, out of the 21 localities, the KGA-10 archaeological locality is the most, one of the most important ones. We have about 11, uh, as you can see, there's 11 uh, locus archaeological sites that we excavated. And from this site, we also found Homo erectus and Australopithecus boisei skulls uh, discovered, uh, dated to around 1.45 million years ago. And the Conso Gardulla KJ10 locality looks like this. This is the first picture that was taken of this site in 1991. And on the right side, you see how the fossils and the artifacts were eroding out of the sediments uh, when we first arrived there. The KJ10 uh, archaeology shows. Acheulean hand axes, which are better shaped compared to the former ones. Here you see a crude form of lanceolate kind of crude uh, hand axes, but we see uh, bifacial shaping, contrary to what we saw into the mostly unifacial shaping. And we see the edge regularization also coming into focus. And in general, from the 1.75 million years to 1.74 million years, we see the oldest site here at KGA uh, 6A1, big boulder, big boulder, which was used as a core, from which large flakes, as you can see, were, were detached and shaped. And by KGA 4 time, at around 1.4, we continue to see large boulders which were used as cores with large giant hammers uh, that were used to detach large flakes. So the 1.75 to 1.4 million years uh, Acheulean in console uh, can be summarized as such. When we come to the younger age, this is the KGA 12 A1 site, and 
you see multiple layers of tufts out there, which were calibrated with tufts that are found in the Cobifora uh, formation further south in the Turkana Basin. And this, from this KJ12 uh, A1 site, by around 1.25 million years ago, we have better shaped hand axes. The reduction is well done. The flex cars count augments. Age is better regularized. And the plant form symmetry is almost attained. And when we compare the KJ12A1 artifacts, hand axis, which we have here uh, down, compared to the KJ4A2, the 1.6 million years old hand axis, we see better plant form symmetry here in contrast with this one. The edge regularization is better and the plant form symmetry and the scar counts and the invasiveness of the flex scars is uh, very special. And not only that, around the same time at a, at a site called KGA8A1 between 1.4 and 1.3 million years ago, we see predetermination of the flex that they were going to detach. The hominids knew what kind of flex they were going to detach from the, uh, from the core, from the mega core that they had. So we see here the predetermination, the guys, those hominids had the mental template of the flex that they detached. Just in the upper uh, section, you see the rows, the arrows, which shows that the preparation of which was the preparation of the core before the detachment of the last detachment of the the flag at the end. So we see a technique that is commonly known as the Kamboa in that area. Not only that, we also think that from the techniques that are applied on this hand axe, on this bifes at by 1.3 million years ago we are, we can permit ourselves to think that perhaps soft hammer techniques, shaping using soft hammer techniques in order to make better regular, better shaped, almost three-dimensionally symmetric stone tools was attained. It was evident by 800,000 years ago at another site that we call uh, KJ18A1, we see better refinement and the choice of raw materials. Rocks is more diverse. They, go, they went for more fine-grained uh, rocks. And the 3D symmetry, as you can see it here, is, has, is attained and large, bigger, and well-regular kind of uh, hand axis were also made. And the uh, edge regularization it was uh, attained. So the Australian industry, the technique of making hand axes, which started by around 1.75 million years ago in Konso. By the way, this is one of the oldest in the world, together with uh, the ones that we have in, East, in West Turkana. Uh, from the preconception of shape, as you can see, here on the left, uh, an intentional shaping, then by the end of the lower Pleistocene, by around 
800,000 years, hominids were able to shape better refined hand axes using soft hammer, invasive flex cars were there, and you can see the plant form symmetry uh, and uh, the section which, are, which together uh, makes the 3D symmetric uh, hand axis. So, in summary, what we have in console from 1.75 million years ago all the way to 800, 850,000 years ago is a continuous progressive uh, change of the technology, the hand axis. It does not mean that there are less better made hand axes, but these are representatives indicative of the trend. And as you can see below, the peak forms continue the same. But the trend with the hand axis is well demonstrated. Console is not only about lithic materials. It's not about making only stone tools, not only making hand axes from rocks. They were also napping bones from large mammoths. At 1.4 million years ago, we have uh, a hand axe made on bones, bones which were modified, maybe for digging, spirally fractured bones uh, to extract marrow, possibly, from the bones. And we also have hominids discovered in this site, uh, here represented by this mandible cranial frags, is Homo erectus, and there is also one postcranial uh, out there. And the best known console uh, specimen, Australopithecus boisei, which made it to nature's uh, cover page, uh, is uh, represented here. So, in general, we can see an evolution from the older one to the earliest Ashulian, early Ashulian. Then, after 1.45, we have the Boisei and the Homo erectus going together, and with more Acheulean sites uh, in, after the 1.4 million years. And when we compare console with what we have in East Turkana, we, have, we can say that the earliest Acheulean in console began together with the appearance of perhaps the oldest. Uh, Homo erectus. And as Homo erectus uh, was established, uh, the Acheulean was more developed and uh, took over, and you can even start finding it everywhere in many sites in Middle East, in Ubedia, in several sites in East Africa and uh, elsewhere. So, as in the case of west uh, of Lake Turkana, the earliest consul Achillean occurs at 1.75. And uh, several people have hypothesized why the Achillean industry uh, happened in the first place, whether it was a phenomenon that, that appeared in with the earlier, with older hominids or with homo uh, erectus, as Homo erectus started to uh, 
include more activities to uh, exploit its landscapes. I would like to thank uh, the Council of Paleoanthropological Research Projects, which I co-lead with my colleague, uh, uh, Professor Gensua, and Brownie Asfaw uh, was uh, an instrumental, and it was his project which first discovered the site, and he handed it over to me and Gen to work on it, and he continued participating. And uh, Tim White, Gede Walder Gabriel, Shigeru Kato, Shinji Nagaoka, Hido Nakaya, our Japanese colleagues collaborate in this research. And uh, other Ethiopian colleagues also uh, collaborated in this research. And grant was provided by the Japan Ministry of Education and Mitsubishi Foundations and the Ethiopian Ministry of Culture and Tourism, ARCSH, and the Consul Community and the Southern Ethiopian uh, Regions Government have helped us uh, in all our endeavor to, to do the field and laboratory research. I thank, again, CARTA for providing, us, uh, providing me this opportunity, and I thank you. You've been listening to a podcast by University of California Television. For more information about this program or UCTV, visit us online at uctv.tv.